Hello, and welcome to Eastgate Community Church. We are so glad you've joined us to listen to this message from our weekend encounter. We pray you are encouraged by what you are about to hear. that's our word because we've been so trained in the other way that when you go into this place it feels barren it feels like wrong it feels like there's nothing there but it's because we haven't learned to drink from those wells of pleasure with the Lord these wells of freedom and it's it's so crazy but he doesn't see it as a wilderness he doesn't see it as a, a place of barrenness it's actually a place of life just having to learn what the ways are, what the rhythms are of that new place. Just having to learn how to delight in Him, how to enjoy Him, like you sucked everything out of enjoying Him. Don't say it in condemnation, it's just, it just is, you know, if they're like relearn saw a video the other day on Facebook y'all probably at least saw it pop up it was like learning to talk when you're 15 you know, some uh, young man from Africa I believe and he didn't know how to talk just having to learn how to talk at 15 years old you know and it's just like that's awkward it's really, that's really awkward and that's what I feel like we're mature in some ways but in other ways we're trying to just learn how to even begin to take the first steps in enjoying God and knowing what he's even like reminded me the the other day and all of this thing because I just want to continue some and share a couple of things about uh, again still going from that place of rest place of peace and the government of the Lord and what's available to us and uh, you know he was just sharing with me personally and, and, and I see it being so true across the board that we've given permission to ourselves and we've given permission to people to fulfill all the laws or the rules that we think that God has outside of relationship with Him. And we've talked some about that. But, you know, I, I think He's just taking that thing down. And it's so good, you know, in that. No more, no more will we endorse or give room for in our own lives, and certainly for years this idea of learning to do the right thing outside of relationship with him. You know, you, you just throw all that stuff out of the window and you'll do yourself a big favor. You know, stop trying to pursue after him without knowing him. Or stop trying, no, stop trying to, that's not what I wanted to say. Stop trying to figure him out without getting to know him. Stop trying to anticipate his wants and his desires and his needs without getting to know him without going to the source, without looking at him and hearing from him and then walking and then taking a step and then move. You know, because religion doesn't have relationship. And so without relationship, we've tried to figure him out. And we've tried to give, well, if you just do A, B, and C, 
then he'll do okay. And we never teach A, B, and C as being go hear from him and hear what he wants you to do. And so even when it comes to delighting in him and enjoying him and feeding from him, like feasting on him, that's a very that's a personal thing. That's that's the language of relationship. I was reading again today. It says John one one. You know, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And remember, we were not talking about the scriptures of the Bible. We're talking. We're not talking about this thing. We're talking about the Logos, the Word, and that Word means the ex, the expression of or the like eloquence that communicates a heart. It's the language of God, like Jesus is the language of God. Jesus is the, if, if, if you could put God's heart in a man, it was Jesus. And he was that from begin, you know, from, from all time. So we're trying to figure something out. We're trying to go down a path of religion, but it's not. It, it's all in him. It's all in relationship. It's all in the language and the expression of who he is. And so if you want to track with God, you have to get your heart in his heart <laughs> you have to get him in you and then learn him and then you'll move like him but we try to we try to move like him without ever getting to know him you know when we, it's just seeing so much with the Lord he's been doing it he's been showing it to me and it's not condemnation at all but in delight because you can't delight with rules they're, they're what they call antithesis. They're, they, they don't belong together. They're on opposite sides. You know, rules in a sense of strict, rigid structure and delight, they, they're the different language. And so when the word says delight in me, it's just like, how? No, I've not heard messages on how to delight in God. How do you do that? Can you tell me? If you know, come up here quickly. <laughs> You know, can you give a this and this and this and this and this and, you know, but, but where would the fun be in that? Like who, you know, in relationships, you know, when I met Rachel, if some, if her dad would have just given me, you know, here's the 50 things that you must do to enjoy her. And then like, no one does that either. Uh, that would be weird, but it'd be super strange. But the Lord doesn't either. And it's not found in religion. And if you go, the longer you've been going down that path or the more you try to go down that path of, of religion, which is anticipating his wants, his needs, his desires, to figure him out outside of relationship, then it's just not going to work. And you're going to come up short. And you're going to try to do this thing the other way, but you're going to keep defaulting back into religion because you just got to get to know him. You know, it, it really amazes me how, how that is a, like a, that's a, a, a big deal. That's like a big statement to make. That would mess up a lot of churches. That would mess up a lot of community of believers. It, but it's just so simple and so basic. And that's what Jesus said to do even to his disciples. You know how, how little Jesus took scriptures and taught from those places and pounded it in people's head? What did he do? He just, he just related it. In John it says, I manifested your name to them. The manifest just means to make experienceable. So he brought who the Father was into their midst, and he didn't use rules and laws and structures and formats, but he just heart-to-heart with people. And he did it with tens of thousands, he did it with hundreds, and he did it with tens, and he did it with a very few. And those ways sometimes look different. 
but he just communicated the heart of the Father. And then at the at his last night with his disciples, in that way, he communicated. He even let them in on that prayer to the Father that I've done this. I've manifested you. I've let them know what you're like. And now, if they've seen me, they've seen you. And that's no different. That should be the mantra of our life. If they've seen you, they've seen the Father. You know, not because of your understandings or because of your, you know, whatever. But they've um, they see the logos in you, the logos of God. They see in you. What is it? No. I have too many books. He, October 31st needs to get here in a hurry. It's when the passion comes out in all together. So I don't have to do this. If you don't know that, you should go. You can pre-order them on Amazon. They have a paperback version that's 25 bucks, and then a leather-bound version, which is 40 bucks. So I will be a cheapo and go with the $25 one. <laughs> Unless someone gives it for me for my birthday, because that's what I was going to ask for. <laughs> Birthday's August 27th. Yeah. One of each. What was I doing? Yeah, so... It's just, it's so simple what he's wanting to do, but it's through love, it's through relationship, it's through love, it's through relationship, it's through delight. And I... Just the word reframing is 1 Corinthians 13. Reframing this thing... I hate I hate when powerful scriptures get commoditized. Get get what's and there's a better word. That's a good word. They get commercialized because everyone thinks then they know what it means and they really have no clue what it means. And so it trains you. It's almost like a vaccine for truth. Oh, I know that. I've read that, and you don't know that. That doesn't have anything to do with anything else. But 1 Corinthians 13, if I were to speak with the eloquence in earth's many languages and the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I did not express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possess unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but have never learned to love, then I'm nothing. That, that's verse 2 in the Passion. I'm going to read that again. Just think about what's actually being said again, even though we've heard it so many different ways, so many different times. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy, who would like the gift of prophecy or more? Okay. With profound understanding of God's hidden secrets. And if I possess unending supernatural knowledge... Who would like unending supernatural knowledge? Yeah. And if I had a gift of faith that was so strong it would move mountains but never learn to love, then I am nothing. That's what we're getting at tonight. That's the punchline. The language of heaven is love. Love is a language of relationship. Jesus is the language of the Father. You see, like, there's no other way. You know, we all agree that there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. He's the door. But we mean Mohammed, we mean Hindu, whatever, we mean Mormon, this and that. We mean all those things. But he says, no, there's only one way, and it's the way of love. It's a way of delight. It's a way of pleasure. It's a way of intimacy. It's a way of relationship. And there is no other way. But we, we teach people, 
our understandings all the time. And it, we see it when people come to the door. We see it when people are broken. We see it when people are going through their mess. We want to fix them. Jesus loves you, but I need to fix you. Like you're living with your girlfriend, you got saved, so you need to stop. Or you're smoking weed, and you come back to the Lord, so you need to stop. Or you're plugging whatever thing bothers you really bad, and you need to stop. Instead of, how about you not? You don't need to tell them anything they need to do in their life. You say, ah, oh, here's Jesus. He's amazing. And he sent the Holy Spirit who can live inside of you. Let's in there. Let me introduce you. Let me be a moment of introduction to you. Introduce the two of you. Then you get to go home. And then you get to teach people how to learn his voice, how to learn the language of love, how to learn. And man, if we did that, if we if that's our discipleship model, which hello it is, if we would do that and push people, let them see our fountain, let them see our connection, let them see our depth and intimacy with the Lord, but only as an introduction of like this is for you, like this you can have this with him. Teach people, teach believers how to hear, young believers, free believers, whatever, whoever you want to call them. Teach them to hear the voice of their father. And then that's it. One step. Super easy. Really fun. And then it's messy and then people make mistakes. And God told me I should do this. And you're like, oh, no, he didn't. Well, it's just like, okay, that's going to be, what's that picture? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> the monkey thing? I'm like, okay, this will be exciting. We'll see what happens. Let, we just let people learn what he's like because we have so many people in the church who've been around forever and they don't know any they know a bunch of head stuff they know a bunch of what other i call them old white dead dudes say but they don't know what the father says you know when was the last what was the last thing he told you and if that wasn't well this morning he there's a problem because he's always speaking and he's always speaking to us but we don't never been taught how to just how to hear him how to connect with them and it's a language of love, and that's just that's always that's always interested in. We really, really, really like. That's the point. Like that's what he wants. If it's not in love, and it's not in relationship with him, he's just not really that interested. There's other ways to say it, but I'll say it that way. Um, so the seed of rest. This is what all this stuff's coming from. Um, I think I turned right to it. Cool. So we have this seat of rest with this place with him. We have this governmental place we get to step into that's really learning how to... Uh, thank you. I'm freezing. I'm like walking away from that thing. Um, we have this seat of rest. We have this place that we don't step in and out of rest. We don't externally experience rest. But we can be in a place we flow from the rest of the Father. You know, from, all the way from Genesis, all the way he rested... Because it's good. Rest is a celebration of perfection. It's a, it's a delight of something that brings joy to your heart. I and mean, that's, that's what we're... That's kind of the aim. We're, we're still going in... Uh, I, I don't know when it was. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading when Jesus is talking about don't be anxious about anything. And don't be anxious about your life. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. They don't do any of the stuff that we're taught to do. But there's provision. Uh, the flowers... Don't dress themselves, but they're more beautiful and all this kind of stuff. And so it's been really interesting walking with the Lord because you can't walk in rest. You can't be in this place of rest that we've been talking about. You can't really enter into a place of sonship um, 
outside of coming into this place of rest. And then you, once you're there, he's just asking us to delight in him. Like, so, okay, this is what I'm trying to say. If there's nothing to do and it's all been done, what are you doing? If you're in the rest and you're in perfect rest and we're learning how to do that every day, so sit in that place. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and click on our podcast or YouTube channel and, and find that seat of rest and all the stuff we've been talking about. But if we're really there and we're only being with the Father, we're only listening to what he's saying, we're only doing what he's saying to do, what what do we do with all this time? Because we fill our lives up, we fill our mental space up, we fill our prayers up with a bunch of nonsense, with a bunch of busy work, with a bunch of, oh, would you do this, and oh, would you do that, and oh, this sounds good, and oh, I'll pray for that person because... And it's not, most of the time we're learning how to hear from him, how, so I ask myself, I want to pray for something, is that what the Lord's talking about? Is that what he wants, or am I just trying to fill up space with a bunch of fluff, with a bunch of blah, 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 because I'm supposed to. And when you stop doing that, you have a lot of time on your hands, because we've been taught to fill all of this time up with a whole bunch of stuff that isn't effective at all. And it's not the Lord's like, shut up, you're doing it wrong. It's just saying, like, you know, I, I found this principle, and we do it with our kids. I, out of love, sometimes I will not reinforce actions because it confuses you that that action is appropriate and beneficial for you in the future. So I think lots of times it's not that he doesn't like us or he doesn't. Sometimes he answers stupid prayers. Sometimes he meets us in our foolishness. I'd say lots of times he meets us in these silly places. But I feel like as us as a community, what he's doing is calling us up and out of some of that stuff a little bit. And so he's just not letting me and others of you that have talked to go into some of these places like you would before and go in a room and I pray for five hours. But if I said only pray what he's saying, only do what's coming from that place of intimacy and relationship, I bet right now you couldn't fill up five hours. And so what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, I found anxiousness fills up much of that void. So now you're in, you're supposed to be in rest, you're earning, oh gosh, what does this feel like, what does this look like, what is, what a, it's a whole new world, it's Aladdin, you're on a carpet, it's beautiful, <laughs> it's this whole new space and you don't know what to do, so you're learning, you're learning how to delight in him, but it just leaves this massive vacuum on the inside of yourself, because we think we're growing, we think, we think we're so big sometimes, and then whenever he prunes, He's pruning dead things. He's pruning four and a half hours out of our five-hour five prayer time. Let's get, let's get real. Let's get effective. Let's, he doesn't want us to continue to waste our time and our space as we come into maturity. And so anxiousness is filling up that void. But there's a couple of things. So I just want, so it's anxious. Jesus saying there's never room, there's never allowance. In the word or anything I've ever heard the word tell me, there's never allowance for anxiousness worry, strife, fear. A couple weeks ago we talked about evil. And evil of course being the Hitler evil and that's never more prevalent than right now and all the nonsense that's going on. But there's an evil in that sense. But evil, the, the primary definition of evil in the Greek is stress, it's anxiousness, it's trials, it's hardships, it's annoyances. That's like when you look at evil and you look at that word, that's the primary, that's the big in bold letters meaning of evil, and so when Jesus is talking about deliver us from evil, I mean, yes, he's talking about Satan, he's talking about the devil, he's talking about not murdering someone, but evil is things that lead you into, that distract from your identity, that distract from your purpose, their annoyances, their frustrations, their hardships. Um, so there's a couple different 
dynamics coming in here, and he's releasing us from some of this stuff, but it's so grounded, it's so like normal, we're having to relearn how to do it. So Philippians 4, I'm going to read it out of this passion, and so if you have it, you can turn there, otherwise uh, write it down, check it out later. Yeah, I'm at the mirror, that's why I showed it to you. <laughs> Philippians 4, verse 4, I'll start there. <clears throat> Joy is not a luxury option. Joy is your constant. Your union in the Lord is your permanent source of delight. So I might say, I might as well say it again, rejoice in the Lord always. So joy is not a luxury option. Joy is not, or joy is your constant. Your union in the Lord is your permanent source of delight. So I might as well say it again, rejoice in the Lord always. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. The Lord is not nearer to some of you than he is to others. So here's verse 6. Let no anxiety about anything distract you. We can replace that word with evil in the way that we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Rather, translate moments into prayerful worship and soak your requests in gratitude before God. It's literally like a learning it's a, it's a relearning. I, I keep saying over and over because don't feel bad. <laughs> don't feel bad. When anxiousness comes, we call it evil and it's a distraction and not even entertaining. And so a lot of this is learning how not to entertain anxiousness. And that gets nitty, gritty, teeny, tiny, small. It's like the sand that gets in uncomfortable places and you feel like you took a shower and it's still there later on. <laughs> And it's really uncomfortable. It is like everywhere when you broaden the definition of stuff out like that. And it's learning not to entertain anxiousness, but rewiring your patterns, rewiring your responses. Really coming under and giving yourself over to the mind of Christ. There's different things that are available to believers, and so that's why he just kind of knocks on the door, like, don't be anxious about anything. And you're like, whoa, okay. Physiologically, there's patterns in your brain, and there's a science to how your brain works and how patterns are established. And the Lord can work within that, but I'm just telling you, there's a way that's outside of that way. We have the mind of Christ. We can step into the mind of Christ. And so, yeah. Not everything has to be done the hard way. When it comes to this stuff, I feel like there's a grace whenever he's bringing it up. There's a grace to step into it. You know the mind of Christ doesn't need to be rewired. The mind of Christ doesn't need 21 days to form a new habit. You know, he's got really good habit. That's kind of what I'm getting at. When you step, when you receive, you step into, under, begin to operate out of Him, sometimes it short circuits those types of things. And sometimes He may lead. Uh, this what He may lead you through the 21 day thing, or He may lead you through. But there, there's an availability for us to step into and under. I would call it the government of God, the government of like the mind of Christ, where you are coming over, you're becoming overshadowed by another understanding or another reality. Because it's love motivated in its relationship. And he doesn't have, 
You know, that's the amazing thing, and we've been talking a lot about this in different ways. There is no set way for you to journey with the Lord. You know, and so I love books, and I love resources, and I love other people's testimonies, and I love other things that we've heard, but there are no A, B, C, X, Y, Z in your walk in relationship with the Lord. He can do anything He wants. He can do it any way that He wants to do that. And so sometimes I think we talk ourselves out of the things that He's saying because well, that's not the way He did it with Tom. You know, or Bobby, his testimony was way different. He didn't do that. And it's like, well, hello, you're not Tom and you're not Bobby. And so what He's saying is better than what happened with Tom and Bobby for you. You know, it's, it's just an encouragement because, like I said, we're relearning. We're we're re-understanding what's acceptable. You know, and it's not the cookie-cutter Western church, Western Christianity, be a good person, do this and do that. It's like, hear what he's saying, and then whatever he's saying is good and gold. And anything that we're still working out is going to happen right in here in these relationships. You know, we don't have to be worried. Uh, Ian, Ian Johnson said something a couple months ago, and I can't remember if he's quoting somebody else or not, but he's, he's, he's basically saying, if you believe you can be deceived, essentially after you've asked the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Truth to come into your life and you still think you can be deceived, you already are. And all that saying is, he's not going to mess up and he's not going to make a mistake in your life. And so you need to learn how to listen to him and trust in him because he's not going to mess you up. And we're not perfect, and so he puts us around wonderful family and in amazing relationships to work out some of our stuff. And so he does bring other people in our lives. But, you know, this idea of, like, getting away from orthodoxy, getting away from the script, getting away from the pre-established patterns freaks us out at church because we think it's better to follow a formula than to get to know him. And that's how far we've gone from this whole thing. That's really how far. It terrifies people to shut the book, to shut down some of the voices, even sometimes to close the Bible and just listen, like, what are you saying? Oh, I need 1,500 verses to confirm that that's what you said. Like we read, and that's okay, that's where we are. But like, are you so scared of being deceived that even when he speaks to you, you're scared of being deceived? Like if he's speaking to you, what what better what what better place, what better way of love? When you go read some of Paul's letters, that's much of what he's saying. Like when he's rebuking and correcting, like in here, he's rebuking a couple people in love. It's not this hard rebuke. But he's basically saying, like, you guys had it, and then you went and tried to write it down and figure it out, and you've lost it. Get back to relationship. Get back to the Holy Spirit. When you, when you started so well, you started in love, you started in grace, you started in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and then you got so amazing that now you have the ability to step out of that and do it better than, than what he's doing. But what he's talking about is relationship. He's talking about love. He's talking about what's he saying to you that morning and that day and being led by him and with him. In verse 7, 
And in this place of worship and gratitude, you will witness how the peace of God within you echoes the awareness of your oneness in Christ beyond the reach of any thought that could possibly unsettle you. So you're translating these moments of anxiety or worry, anxiousness into prayer for worship. You're soaking whatever request remains on the table once you've done that. Because often when you give him anxiety, lots of stuff goes away. But whatever's really there, whatever's really in your heart, you're, you're bringing it. You're not jumping into your worry. You're bringing this stuff into his presence, into rest, into peace, into his government. And then none of that worry, anxious junk is able to come through that veil. You can. And the things that matter to you can. But it's almost like there's a, there's a, a veil, like there's a door you have to go through. And when you step out, you, you subject yourself to all this stuff. But when you bring these things into this place of intimacy and love, all that mess can't come with it. And so whatever's left, you're bringing it, you're soaking it before them. In this place of worship... In gratitude, you will witness how the peace of God within you echoes the awareness of your oneness in Christ. And it does this beyond the reach of any thought that could possibly unsettle you. Just like a sentry guard secures a city, watching out in advance for the first signs of any possible threat, your heart's deepest feelings and the tranquility of your thoughts are fully guarded here. By what? By the peace of God. So most translations of the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts. So when you bring your stuff into that place, the peace of God, the government of God will guard and you can open up. Now let this be your conclusive reasoning. Consider that which is true about everyone as evidence in Christ. Live overwhelmed by God's opinion of you. So this is what happens when you do that, when you're not worrying and you're coming into this spot. Live overwhelmed by God's opinion of you. Acquaint yourselves with the revelation of righteousness. Realize God's likeness in you. Make it your business to declare mankind's redeemed innocence. Think friendship. Discover how famous everyone is in the light of the gospel. Mankind is in God's limelight. Ponder how elevated you are in Christ and study stories that celebrate life. Oh, look in James real quick. Where's James? Come here, buddy. Let's look in James chapter 1. Again, this is in Hebrews, so... I mean, oh gosh. Not in Hebrews. This is in uh, this book that you don't have, so... Maybe you do. I know Michelle bought one. She's not here tonight. James 1.19 Consequently, my brethren... So, okay, I'm just going to start with this. In your translation, it's going to be be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to, to anger. Okay. So this is an interesting, this is very much a paraphrase, but I love, and so I read it a little bit more into it, and it, it definitely fits, there's a place for it, but it changes up a little bit of what this says, but I love, I love what it's saying here. James 1.19, consequently, my, bre- my brethren, my, my beloved brethren, when you are faced with temptation and contradiction, ponder the word 
that reveals your true origin. Do not ponder the problem. That is how frustration is conceived. Rather remain silent and give anger your voice. When you are faced with temptations and contradictions, ponder the word where he means here, and it's not going to be in the original text. He's he's bringing some stuff into it. When you're faced with temptations and contradiction, ponder the logos, ponder the language. He's saying ponder the heart, bring the heart of God into this thing that reveals your true origin. Do not ponder the problem. This is how frustration is conceived. Rather remain silent than give anger your voice. just a couple there's just a practical kind of deal this week whenever you're dealing with frustration when you're dealing with anxiety I've just been sitting on that passage you know you have no obligation or no responsibility to ponder your problems you have no responsibility you have no legal right you have no expected right to give way or place to anxiety at all ever You have, you have the authority from the Lord to give it the big middle finger. That's why I saw him doing it in my head. Like, I'm serious. You, you have the ability to be violent against these things and not give it any room in your heart or in your life at all. And instead... What we get to do, this would be interesting if you want to do this. I don't, because it, be, it would be a lot. Write down every time, every time, every time for a whole day when you worry about something or when you're anxious about something. Log how much time you spend replaying this fight in your head or replaying a fight you wish happened in your head or worried about how something's going to work out or I don't know how this is going to be. So you just go ahead and log all that time. And when you stop doing that, you realize you have a lot more time. And so what I'm proposing we fill that time up with is still hiding in the Lord. John 17, Jesus talks about entering into his joy. I'm just going to kind of read a couple of things here real quick. You know, you're made for joy. You're made for delight. You're made for pleasure. That's literally like what you're made for. I love moves of the past. I love the the awakenings of the past. But it's interesting you see, like when the Lord came in because of understanding, because of dispensations, because of cultural things, like how not not everyone but the mainstream, they would be quick to cut out Mm -hmm. pleasure. They'd be quick to cut out joy. They'd be quick to cut out life, even in these amazing moves of the Lord. And out of a lot of those things came a lot of weird stuff sometimes as well. And there were those that didn't do that, but propriety and 
this is conduct yourself with blah 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 or whatever. But it's so much like religion's so tricky and so sticky because it goes after delight, it goes after pleasure, it goes. That's the first things like it knocks out because then you can take those things out, then your life's a mess because you're created for pleasure, like you're created for joy, you're created for life. Even Jesus in John 10, I love you can have life or you can have it more abundant. You know, there are levels. There's a glory to glory to glory. There's new understandings and revelations of pleasure and goodness and life. Me and Rachel were watching something last night. It was super crazy. It was this guy. I watched it. I love YouTube because I watch some really weird stuff sometimes. This is this guy explaining what it's like to take meth. And it's amazing because he's talking about, I had never understood this before. But this is not what he was saying, but this is what I got out of it. They have this, like, dope, they have this, um, is it dopamine? No. There's a chemical in your brain that's released in things like sex, so things like pleasure, relationship, huh? Okay, dopamine, yes. There are levels of that. And so, like, uh, sex usually increases your dopamine levels up to, like, 200, okay, in relationship, intimacy, friendship, uh, things like, um, it was some other kind of like Adderall brings it up to like 500 or 400 or something like that. So it just kind of gives you a reference. Okay, whatever. Those are enjoyable things. Methamphetamine, when you take it intravenously in your body or you smoke it, shoots the dopamine levels up to 1,500. It's the highest high that we can produce chemically or in drugs. But what that let me know is there's something higher than that. Amen. Like in that, so if you want to even bring it into that level, physiologically, like our brain is capable, even sex is capable of experiencing a high and a joy that's seven times greater than a sexual experience. We'll say a good sexual experience. And if, if that's a drug, if that's what a drug can trigger on the inside of your head, how much more can relationship and love with the Father, how far can it go? Like how much of what? Even our natural brains. How far can we go in joy and love and pleasure in our natural, like this form of our bodies? And then we have ages to come. You know, it's not forever is not one long, boring, flat line. Like when you go look in the Hebrew and even the Greek, it talks about age enduring. So there's no such concept as eternity in the Hebrew context. It's ages after ages after ages after ages after ages, and they just happen to not stop. But it's circles that are completing themselves in a big giant circle that's completing themselves in a big giant circle that's completing itself. Like this is more or less, that's more in the vein of like a Hebrew understanding of eternity. It's not one line like you saw in math, and then it just goes out forever. It's literally ages and age enduring. And so we know a glorified body's what's to what's in this next age, This is, but what's in the one after that? What's the levels of joy and love and experience that'll be in the one after that? And so all that, oh, I was saying lots of things, so just basically get it, you are created for pleasure and joy and love. And Jesus says this to his um, disciples. It says in John 17, verse 13, but now I am returning to you so, Father, I pray that they will experience and enter in to my joyous delight in you. And so I won't even go there, but the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in a age-enduring place of love and joy and fellowship and delight 
and desire and fulfillment and longing with each other. It's just as like love swirl. And he's literally inviting us into this. And so this is something that we can fill this time and this space up with. Too many books. Turn to Psalm 37. Again, I'm going to read this out of the Passion, but you can see it there. I love Psalm 34. We'll read Psalm 37, but in 34, it's talking about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I love in the Passion. What's the word it uses? Drink deep. Hold on. Stay in 37. I love in the Passion of Psalm, in chapter 34, it says, Drink deeply of the pleasures of this God. Experience for yourself the joyous mercies that he gives to all who turn and hide themselves in him. Worship in awe and wonder, all you who have been made holy, for all who fear him will feast with plenty. Even the strong and the wealthy grow weak and hungry, but those who passionately pursue the Lord will never lack any good thing. Those are powerful statements. Up in verse 5, gaze upon him, join your life with his, and joy will come. Your face will glisten with glory. You'll never wear that shame face again. When I had nothing desperate and defeated, I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me, bringing his miracle deliverance when I needed it most. Even angels stoop down and listen as I pray, encircling me, empowering me, and showing me how to escape. Drink deeply of the pleasures of this God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In Psalm 37, starting in verse 3, Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. This is done by relationship. This is done. That statement I just made is not what you go read in a book. It's love motivated. It's love fueled. It's delight. It's out of delight. It's from a place of delight. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure. Feasting on his full faithfulness. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life. And he will provide for you what you desire the most. You know, it's an interesting thing when you do that progression, when you keep trusting in him, when in relationship and love you, just, you, you discern and you start to judge rightly what is right in his eyes. Not what religion's told us, but what he actually likes. When you give God the right to di- direct your life and you trust in him. When you make him the utmost delight and pleasure of your life. It says... Right after that, he will provide for you what you desire the most. You think when you've gone through a progression like that, that he's not what you desire the most. And so I just, you even see right there, like a circle. You start in love and desire, and you give him everything. You give him the way of your life. You learn to delight in him. You learn his ways. You learn how to love him. You learn how to, to joy him, to feast on him. And then it says he gives you what you desire the most which is him. So you learn him more and you love him more and you give him more and you experience him more and you learn how to pleasure in him and delight in him more and then it gives you the desire of your heart. And then you see how I, it's a, it goes and it goes and it goes and it just continues to be love motivated and joy fueled and desire explosion thrust like a rocket ship 
and it just leads into more of him. Verse 5, give God the right to direct your life, and as you learn to trust him along the way, you'll find that he pulled it off perfectly. He will appear as your righteousness, as sure as the dawning of a new day. He will manifest as your justice, as sure and as strong as the noonday sun. Quiet your heart in his presence and pray. Look, it's the same thing that says in Philippians, same thing it says in James. This is the process of coming into this place and setting aside, not entertaining anxieties or annoyances, but coming into and quieting our heart in his presence and praying. I love this next statement here. Keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. Wow, Tom was sharing that. This, keep hope alive as, as you long for God to come through for you. You know what that does? Brings up projection like that. Are you practicing the ways of keeping hope alive as you long for God to come through for you in a way that he has not yet manifested it? Like that's a tall order because that will produce, that will expose inside of you every place of rejection and fear and mistrust and, 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 and not in a condemnation kind of way, but reveal to you how much you don't know him yet. Can you keep hope alive? This is intentional. As you long for, because you're in the middle of the process, God to come through for you. That's not, or whatever your will is. I hope it, I'll, no. Hope is the substance. Hope is a hope is grabbing onto something specific. And it's not picking, look, everything up in front of this is what we've taught people in the faith movement and the prayer healing, supernatural goosebumps movement is to take principles out of the word, grab them outside of relationship and expect that God would heal me or expect that God would give me a new house and car or because I prayed these and I have faith that he'll do blah, blah, blah and my life will be whatever, whatever. Keeping hope alive in a longing is only possible out of a place of intimacy and relationship where you know that's what he's saying and you know what's good. And you know what he thinks about that thing. And even if you're in a journey of like, sometimes I'm not really sure, and I'm working this thing out, it's not like, oh, that's a, a thing I want from somebody else, so I'll keep hope alive, and God's going to bless me for that thing. And then we get rejected and embarrassed and hurt and wounded when it doesn't come to pass. But this is talking about from a place of intimacy, you're learning his heart. He said something to you. He's promised something to you. He has spoken that you grabbed that thing by the horns, you keep hope alive, and you continue to long for him to fulfill. And that's a dangerous, vulnerable place. Right. To continue to long, to desire, to want to put your heart in that thing, to put your hope. I mean, this is what hope is. This is you are you are putting meat to the bones of faith. I feel like that's 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 hope. You're putting meat on the bones of faith. You're putting substance to it. You're, you're making it something real that's connected deep in your heart. And you're keeping your heart in a place where you continue to long, like actively pursue, like actively want. And I feel like just even going through that and saying that, that the Lord is bringing stuff up inside of us and He wants to heal places. Or maybe you've done that in the past, but it was not out of relationship or love. It was someone told you 
I can think of a couple of examples from what you guys have shared with us before. I can think of my own of moments where I thought I was God had to come through for me and he didn't. And it produces rejection, it produces hurt and pain if we don't have proper relationship, we don't have intimacy with him. And I've done that in the past before. If you've been a Christian and probably these circles, you've probably done that before too. And I feel like he's kind of knocking on that door again and saying, would you be able to come back? Would you be willing to keep hope alive? Would you be willing to long again out of this place? Like he's a safe place, you know. I know every time I did that and it didn't work out, it's because I wasn't even in a relationship with him. I took stuff that I heard. I took stuff that I thought I knew. And I tried to apply it around and outside of relationship. And it didn't work. And now it wasn't, I know it wasn't his fault. You know, I was being presumptuous. I was being in many ways prideful. I was trying to use him to accomplish things for me. And that's not what this is talking about. And so if you've had moments like that where you've done that and he did not come through, you know, I just, I feel like that invitation for, from him for you to readdress that thing again, to address that situation or address that space. I believe that you were going to do this, or I believe you were going to do that. Um, and just see from where you're at right now what he would say about that thing. He's, again, retraining us. Permission, you know, this is what living from the Spirit, I believe a big part of it. from the Spirit is keeping hope alive. It's learning how, you know, that's been a prayer of mine over and over and over the last couple weeks. It's like how, you know, like teach me how to delight in you. Teach me how to enjoy you. Because I don't know how. When I take away all the stuff, I don't. Like I'm learning, but I don't. I don't know how to do that. You know, there's no rules in delight. The only boundary is love. I love this, the fruit of the Spirit. This is out of the mirror paraphrase here. The fruit of the Spirit, which I love, which is what we're governed by. The Spirit finds expression in love and in joy and in peace in endurance and kindness and goodness and faith and gentleness and in self-control which is spirit strength. Mm-hmm. And this is a side note because we didn't read some of what came before. This is in total contrast to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree that bears the fruit effortlessly consistent with the life of our original design. These things, this fruit of, or these fruit of can even be translated as harvest of. So the harvest of tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of works, of our own righteousness, of our own ways, which Paul talks about, and then the, the harvest of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, they're contrasting just as the Spirit, or just the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life, and those trees just produce after its own kind, this is like Jesus' language, uh, tree, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, a bad tree can't produce good fruit, it's, it's back to like that solid level, and like spoil, spoil alert, you're in the kingdom, you're of the tree of life. You are, you are in Him. You are of Him, and so this is what you produce. This is what's consistent with your nature. You know, we don't have lower natures. 
Sinati. We don't even have what much of, much of the church is called a sin nature. Because we've been crucified with Christ. We've already, as believers, died in him, with him. And they're raised to life again. You have no lower nature. You don't have two to choose from. You have an old dead corpse, or you have the life that you're in right now. And I guess you could choose if you would like to do that. But there's not like on the inside of you, there's this devil hidden away, this demon possessed, the lower nature, where sometimes you slip back into it. It's just not the way it's set up. You are a new creation in Christ. Illegalism can neither match nor contradict this, the harvest of the Spirit. There is no law against love. Those who understand that the righteousness is of Christ and that it does not come as a reward for their ability to keep the law, they have discovered that their flesh, with its dictates and its lusts, were co-crucified with Christ. Because faith defines us and not flesh, we take our lead from the Spirit in our daily conduct. There is an authority in our step, and we are marching in rank like soldiers. I love this. Quit your efforts to try and impress one another. The law of works reduces your life to envious comparison and petty competition, while love only and always seeks the advantage of the other. your ways, Lord. I thank you for this way of rest, for this way of your government, this way that you live and move and have your being that you have called us into. That you've actually given us new life in, and that we are born again. We are already included in this life, in your nature. Lord, as we learn how to occupy this seat of rest, Lord, as we learn how to administrate the government of peace, Lord, as we learn to then use up all this free time that we have by delighting in you and enjoying you and learning your ways, like learning your flow, like learning what it feels like to know you and learning what you sound like and learning what you like and what you love and what you're passionate about and what you want to say each day is we're learning not academically, not through resources, but through love and relationship and time. Lord, we pray that you give us grace, grace to do it. That your Holy Spirit would teach us Lord, that you would open up our eyes, eyes of our heart, or that our understanding, the spirit of wisdom and revelation would flow. The seven spirits of the Lord would, would instruct us and tutor us in, in your ways, in your in your the way you do things, to learn a new rhythm than the rhythm of the world. And Father, we put to practice 
or not giving room to anxiety, to evil, to frustrations, annoyances, and hardships. Or we um, ask for grace or to stop the hamster wheel that, that just gets going sometimes because it's been what we've allowed ourselves to do for so long. And begin to step into a place of peace with you and step into a place of joy and delight or that we would learn how to feast on you. Or we would learn how to sit at the table, sit at your table and engage with you and, and, and eat from you, Lord, and drink from you. Or that we would become addicts of you. Or that we would become dependent on that place of fellowship with you. Or that we would not be able to function outside of it. Or that you would teach us what that looks like for us. How you created us uniquely and, and, and with desires and motivations and and things that trigger us into love, and things that trigger us into hope, and things that make us excited to work. You did those things because there's a place in your heart that that connects to so uh, amazingly, so special, so powerful, or that you would even teach us how we, in the spirit, work and function and flow in you. you know, or we just put to practice, or coming into, like the weapon I feel like to do this thing is the weapon of thankfulness, the weapon of gratitude, the weapon of uh, hope, keeping hope alive, so he would teach us how to engage with you in the place of thankfulness, of gratitude, of hope, of expectation, of longing, or that you would awaken those things that the world so seeks to crush and destroy, or that you're not wanting us to be serious and get it right, but you're saying, take my hand, come in here, learn that playing is fun, and that there's not rules when we're delighting in one another. You can't delight in me wrong. I can't delight in you wrong. Like we just, it's motivated by love and just teaching us, Lord, how to do that. But coming through the gateway of praise and thanksgiving, of gratefulness and gratitude, we come through your gates, into your gates with thanksgiving, and into your courts, into your, into the, the innermost places of your, of your, the counsel of your heart, of relationship with you, with praise. Lord, we awaken and remind ourselves of who you are, or we engage not with frustration and in, in, in anger or or worry or anxiety or stress, but when we begin to engage in thankfulness and how many times you've come through for us and what you've done for us and the healings that you've done and the miracles and in the words that you've spoken and the dreams that you've given and the visions that we've seen, Lord, and, and where you've revealed yourself in moments of worship or where you've revealed yourself in the Word, where we begin to pull those things up, engage with those things, or use them as currency for love and delight and relationship. We use them, Lord, as keys to open up new doors with you. God, we, we engage with you in thanksgiving and love, Lord, in desire. We stir our hearts up, not, not trying to make something happening, but just going over and over again the goodness that you've demonstrated in our lives, Lord, for our families and our children, our relationships, Lord, our, our finances, where you've provided for us, Lord. We have we could fill books and books and books up with how good you've been to us, Lord, and we begin to engage with that in a new way, to open up these new places of desire and delight and enjoying and feasting on you, Father. And so we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about our community, please visit our website at eastgatetx.org.